Welcome to the MindBeat podcast by Effective School Solutions. I'm your host, Duncan Young, CEO of Effective School Solutions. And I'm your co-host, Lane Whitaker, Senior Director of Professional Learning at Effective School Solutions. The MindBeat podcast is the definitive source for all topics related to school-based mental health, from sharing best practices to highlighting innovative school districts to keeping track of legislation. MindBeat is the go-to source for educators and administrators looking to implement a mental health care continuum. Together, we can make a difference in school-based mental health care and in the lives of students, families, and educators. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. My name is Duncan Young. I am the CEO of Effective School Solutions. And I'm Lane Whitaker, Senior Director of Professional Learning at Effective School Solutions. We are your hosts of the MindBeat podcast. We're incredibly excited to be with you here today for our launch episode of the podcast. Uh, We're going to be joined very shortly by our very special guest, Amy Kennedy, who is the co-founder and the education director of the Kennedy Forum. We are incredibly excited to be with you today. We've got a, a great show for you. Elaine, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. How about you, Duncan? Good. You've been traveling a lot lately. I have. I've been on the road. Uh, I was visiting some of our districts in uh, Southern California and then in Northern California, and it was a wonderful visit. I really enjoyed being with, uh, you know, boots on the ground with our district, seeing the teachers, seeing the kids, seeing how our coaches are interacting and how much the teachers are loving getting trained and getting the support that they need. So it was it was phenomenal. That's great. And have you yeah. stayed healthy? Do you, do you find that like uh, travel is kind of like, uh, you know, you're getting colds and whatnot? I should not be asking you this now that you and I are like three feet away from each other right now? Well, time will tell. Yeah. Time will tell. Please, please Check back tell with me, me in a couple days. Please and I'll tell, let me you know. tell me you're healthy. Right? So. What's the, co- what's the, uh, the uh, what is it called? The incubation period? Uh, I don't know. Well, yeah. check back in. I hope that incubation period doesn't like expire during the middle of our podcast today. Uh, yeah, okay. Excuse me. Got it. Um, yeah. I, I think it's, uh, you know, I, I think as, as, you know, COVID is obviously still with us, it seems mm-hmm. to be receding, but I think we're all realizing that like we had two years where no one actually got sick with anything other than COVID. And I think right. that's all, you know, coming back right now. So I'm hearing about flu. I'm hearing yes. about flu, Flovid, which is like the Flo-vid. combination of <laughs> flu and COVID, which is That's our made up word for the episode now. Flovid. I, I, which sounds like the worst thing ever, right? Like terrible. So, that does um, sound. Now I've heard that too, that that's uh, on a rampage, the flu, cold season, everything. It sounds like it's all ramping up. We're not masked up. Although... I proudly wore my mask on the plane. Uh, it was close quarters. You know, a lot of people are traveling internationally. So I, I did do that. I did take care of that. <laughs> I, I hear I hear mixed things about whether or not like that little stream of air that comes out of like the top of the airplane yeah. ceiling, like actually creates a protective, you know, germ cocoon around you. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> I've never heard that, the germ cocoon. Yeah. I was not aware of that. But I did read an article during the pandemic, like the heart of it when I was traveling still, uh, that apparently they cycle through fresh air, like every so often, I don't know how, what the frequency is, but enough that it should prevent you from having like germs circulating the plane. We'll see. I think it's true. I think it's planes <laughs> and casinos do the same casinos. thing. Casinos. Pumping pure oxygen, <laughs> you know, so that you, yeah. you can stay awake and you, you want to gamble more. Yeah. That's the, I don't know. I'm not really, I believe I've never been to Vegas. Uh, I avoid the casinos in Atlantic actually, City. That's, that's not a bad thing. So. <laughs> I've, I've never had any desire to go. I, Yeah. But I've heard that. I've heard they pump it through with oxygen to keep people happy and gambling. And I heard it's actually scented as well, like like pleasant odors. Got it. But I wouldn't know. Okay. Well, uh, shifting uh, hard transition from pleasant odors to the the agenda, (laughs) the great agenda that we have set up for today. We're going to be hearing uh, very shortly from uh, 
Amy Kennedy, who is the co-founder and the education director of yes. the Kennedy Forum. We're incredibly excited to have her with us today. Uh, as we do at the top of every episode, we're going to start with our two standard segments. Our, our first segment is our top three for today. So as we do every episode, we're going to get started with our uh, top three, where Lane and I will share three big ideas in response to a key mental health question. And these questions are usually things that we are hearing every week from uh, district partners. I'll actually take this one, Lane, I think you're going to take some of our uh, top three in our, our future episodes. But one of the things that we have been hearing a lot about from our district partners is uh, how do we sustainably fund our mental health initiatives and, and what does that look like? So the top three for today is top three ways to fund school-based mental health initiatives over the long term. And uh, there are there are way more than three ways to do this. We actually have a brand new funding guide that is about to be launched on our website uh, for anyone who would like to take a look at that, uh, uh, www.effectiveschoolsolutions.com. Uh, but the three things I really want to highlight, uh, you know, first is our traditional federal funding sources. So uh, traditional federal funding sources like Title Title A, uh, which is uh, uh, supplemental federal education funding that is distributed to districts based on the number of students in, in poverty uh, as, as measured by the percentage of students on free and reduced lunch. Uh, Title A is a great uh, source that can be used for mental health support in in schools, and I would say the majority of districts, particularly in uh, areas that do have higher levels of poverty, that work with ESS are are using Title One A to fund their mental health initiatives. Uh, also, uh, IDEA IDEA, as as some uh, individuals call it, uh, this is the Individuals with uh, Disabilities in Education Act. This is special uh, funding for students who are classified as. Uh, special education with a disability that impedes their ability to uh, interact with their with their learning. And, uh, you know, many students, not all students, but many students who do have mental health challenges in the school setting are classified as special education. And IDEA funding can be used, of course, for those students. A second one, uh, in addition to, so the, the, the first one is those traditional federal funding sources of title and IDEA. A second one that I'd highlight is, uh, is, is Medicaid. Um, you know, right now, all states have uh, uh, policies where students who do have um, uh, IEPs who are classified as special edu education, districts can uh, submit for at least partial reimbursement of the cost of mental mm. health services delivered to those students. Uh, in addition, 20 states have actually expanded uh, you know, that policy to cover students who are in the general education, the non-special education population as well. So I think we're going to be hearing a lot more about Medicaid in the coming years and months. Uh, um, uh, the federal government has recently uh, introduced uh, a whole new set of policies around the creation of a technical support center and, and kind of uh, uh, redoing a lot of their policies and regulations because right now it's really hard for districts to access Medicaid. You actually need, you know, kind of reimbursement systems. There's a lot of, it's a very complicated kind of uh, reimbursement protocol. And I think the federal government is working to make that easier. So we should all keep an eye on that. The final thing I'd want to highlight is the uh, Bipartisan Safers, Safer Communities Act. This was a uh, also called the BSCA. This is the law that the federal government passed over the summer uh, around uh, gun safety that was passed in the wake of the tragedy in uh, Uvalde, Texas. 
uh, with the school shooting there. And uh, we don't have time to get into everything that the BSCA has, but it's got a lot of funding both for physical hardening of school environments, but it also has a significant amount of funding for mental health supports for students. A lot of that is going to be coming out under the umbrella of uh, Title IV. So Title IV is a, you know, an existing kind of federal funding source, but I believe the exact numbers are about a billion dollars in additional Title IV spending that's going to be added uh, you know, to uh, uh, districts uh, via the BSCA uh, law. And uh, I, I think this is not really on the radar screen of a lot of school districts yet. But in the coming months, I am assuming guidance will be coming out for the federal government about how that new allocation will make its way to school districts. So traditional federal funding sources, Medicaid, BSCA, those would be the, the three um, uh, main funding sources that, I, that I'd want to highlight in response to that question of top three ways to fund school-based mental health initiatives. Anything you'd want to add to that, Lynn? I'm just really excited to hear that there's all these things happening to fund it and that the government is taking it really seriously. So I'm really happy to hear that. Yeah, the big thing districts are, fund, are focused on right now, I mean, with the, uh, the ESSER funding, the COVID relief funding that was made available to schools, that can obviously be used for mental health services. Um, there were three kind of tranches or, or kind of layers to that. Uh, they expire at different times. The, the biggest tranche ESSER 3 or the American Rescue Plan, uh, I believe the funds there must be either encumbered or spent by mm -hmm. September 30th, 2024. So what is that? A little little less than two years two from years. now. Mm -hmm. But we all need to start planning for the post-ESSER environment because a lot of districts have used ESSER funding uh, to, you know, for the, for the first time, really innovate kind of around uh, mental health. A lot of these kind of deferred investments that they've wanted to make for a long time, they finally had the funding to be able to do that. So I think as a broader school community, kind of external organizations, school districts, we're all going to have to work together to really figure out uh, the best way to, to make sure that we sustainably fund this. Because I think, as we all know, student mental health challenges are not going to follow uh, uh, funding cycles. And, and I, <laughs> I, 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 I very much believe, and I think the educators that we work with, uh, are, are also believing that this is a long-term challenge that districts are going to be uh, are going to be facing. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Okay, let's uh, move on to our next segment uh, in the news, where every week we want to highlight a couple of uh, school-based mental health-related news articles that have uh, really kind of caught our attention. We've got a couple uh, here, Lane, that we want to cover this week. You want to you want to take our, yeah. our our first one, and this is uh, an Education Week article entitled "Pandemic Anxiety." was higher for teachers than for healthcare workers. What did you find out in this yeah. article? Uh, I was surprised to hear like the superlatives <coughs> that it was higher for healthcare workers. That was surprising. However, I had no doubt that it was extremely stressful. It continues to be stressful for teachers. Uh, myself going in to do observations uh, and seeing teacher interactions, both virtually and in person, it was a real struggle and a challenge for teachers to convert their whole teaching or modify their whole teaching strategies to online. And then uh, what was super impressive is that a lot of times you had both. You had students online and in person and had to make sure that you were engaging both audiences, that you're responding to questions online while still making sure everyone's on task in person. It was very stressful. On top of that, you've got the masks, the COVID protocols, uh, teacher shortages, um, you know, there was uh, just a lot of stressful things going on. So I'm not surprised to hear that, but I was um, just, you know, slightly a little bit surprised that it was more so for uh, for teachers than healthcare workers. 
Great. And uh, as with all of the articles we feature in, in the news, these are going to be up on our Effective School Solutions social media feeds. So uh, uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter, if Twitter actually still exists at the, uh, at the time that all of you are kind of listening to this, I think that kind of remains to be seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, LinkedIn, and uh, you can also find these articles on our, on our website. So the, the second uh, article that really kind of caught my attention that I want to highlight is from the Columbia University Department of Psychiatry. Uh, and this is entitled How Sleep Deprivation Impacts Mental, Mental Health. Really great article. A couple of key takeaways, um, and some of these are going to be very uh, obvious, but, but I, I think it, they're very timely given some of the challenges that are going on with our young people. So, I mean, some of the key points in the article, number one, sleep is incredibly important to our mental health and that there are real psychological effects of sleep deprivation. So there's some studies cited in this article that really show that otherwise healthy people can experience increased anxiety and distress levels following poor sleep. And I think we all see that on our day-to-day you know, lives, right? Uh, same with hunger. We might be, we might be kind of, uh, if we're hungry, we get hangry, right? If we're sleepy, we get <laughs> yeah. slangry. I don't know if that's an actual, actual kind of- Getting really kinda, good at making up these words. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, <laughs> I, can, I can see my 14-year-old kind of listening to this and just rolling her eyes at what very much was a dad joke, let's be kind of honest uh, with ourselves here. So- um, but the, the, you know, to me, the biggest piece on this was the, the third main bullet point that the COVID pandemic, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic created a host of new challenges to sound sleep. There's actually a speaking of, of new terms that we're coining. There's a term here called coronasomnia that really talks about how uh, insomnia levels increase significantly during the COVID-19 pandemic. And I think we heard anecdotally through a lot of the districts that we work with about students whose sleep patterns kind of fundamentally changed during during COVID. They became night owls. They didn't really have the regular structures of in-person schooling. So they're going to bed at 3 a.m. and they're waking mm-hmm. up at 10 a.m. And that has a lot of predictable challenges, I think, with the ability of a student to self-regulate, the ability of a student to kind of manage their own emotions. And I also think it's really important to note that this is not just a COVID thing. There have been plenty of studies that have shown that since like the rise of pervasiveness of uh, one-to-one devices mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. social media kind of in particular, starting about 2011, uh, the amounts of sleep that young people are getting has been, you know, decreasing Dramatically, and I think that's one of the main hypotheses about what might be driving the big uh, challenges that we've seen with the sharp uptick in uh, uh, mental health challenges over the last 10 to 15 years, particularly, you know, the most severe uh, mental health challenges, severe anxiety, depression, suicidality, kind of et cetera. So something that we really need to keep an eye on. I know that a lot of school districts from a policy standpoint uh, have this very much on their radar screen. I know in our local district here, uh, the, the start time for school has been kind of moved back in in recent years. I know down in uh, you know Montgomery County, Maryland, they were one of the first districts, I think, kind of mm-hmm. nationwide to really look at the school calendar and to bump kind of start times for students back uh, about an about an hour. So this is, I think, is going to be an important policy piece, and it's you know not just about students getting enough sleep; it's also about kind of their mental health and wellness. For sure. I mean, it makes sense to me if you're in your stress response, you're producing, you know, heavy amounts of cortisol and adrenaline, which we know can cause all kinds of hormonal changes, including insomnia. Uh, Then you're up in the middle of the night, don't know what to do with yourself. Let me play this video game, get some dopamine in there. And, uh, you know, the cycle continues. So that's not surprising. It's unfortunate. 
but not surprising. Agree. Agree. Yeah. So, so Lane, I think we should introduce our guest for today. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, so, it's a woman after my own heart, a former educator who uh, is, you know, a champion for mental health causes. So, hundred percent. So, yeah. uh, we are incredibly excited to welcome Amy Kennedy, the co-founder and education director for the Kennedy Forum. Um, I have a, a bio with Amy that I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of. Uh, 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 keep this uh, kind of very concise because I want to maximize our time with her. But, you know, Amy is a former educator, started as a New Jersey uh, public school teacher. She is a mother of five, and she's one of our nation's strongest advocates for uh, youth youth mental health. Uh, her, her specialty is really in pursuing partnerships and collaborations that emphasize social-emotional learning, trauma-informed care, social media safeguards, school-based treatment options, screening, and much, much more. Um, she co-founded the Kennedy Forum, uh, one of the nation's leading mental health uh, not-for-profits and advocacy organizations with her husband, uh, former Congressman Patrick Kennedy, that they founded the Kennedy Forum in 2013. And I can't think of an individual that, that we know who is more passionate about mental health causes. Amy is also a board member for Effective School Solutions. We're incredibly fortunate to be affiliated uh, with her and to be able to benefit from her guidance and, and wisdom. So, uh, Amy, welcome to the MindBe podcast. Hey, thank you so much, Duncan Lane. Good to be with you. Now we're excited to, to have you here. So, uh, so may, maybe we could start off, Amy, just kind of going going back to the beginning, right? Uh, uh, maybe you could talk to us a little bit just about your background, particularly as it relates to both education and to to mental health. Sure. You know, I spent about 15 years working in public schools. Both my parents were public school educators, and in that training for preparing for my career, I didn't learn anything really about mental health. I had learned some um, child psychology and brain development at Penn State where I went to school and I really loved those courses. But a lot of my focus in training was on preparing my lessons. And then you get thrown into your first classroom and you realize a lot of what you're there to do is to help manage behaviors and to be a support and develop connections with your students. And that was not something that I had really been prepared for. It's the part of being an educator that really matters. And um, we're hopeful that we'll see more of a, a demand in the field for that kind of training. Um, but over the time in the classroom, I felt very frustrated by not being able to provide some of the services for the students in my classroom that I know needed them. You know, you have maybe a guidance counselor in your district that you could send students who you thought were having a hard time to the guidance counselor, uh, but it really wasn't enough. It wasn't going to be transformative and um, meet all the demands that you were seeing. And so after meeting my husband, Patrick, who had focused a lot of his efforts around um, insurance coverage for mental health conditions, I began to think more about what schools could be doing and how we could be focused a little bit more on the prevention and early intervention. Got it. Got it. So when you, you I mean, you're, it, it's, it's striking to me, Amy, that you're kind of maybe individual journey as an educator of wanting to, to kind of achieve kind of like a higher knowledge level about 
mental health of the students that you were serving. I think there's almost a parallel uh, in, in maybe the way that districts are starting to build their own collective systems level competency kind of around this. So, I mean, when you when you think about kind of framing it in that way, like what's your assessment of the state of school-based mental health today kind of nationwide? And this is obviously going to vary region by region, but what do you think is working well and what do you think some of the big areas for improvement are? Oh, I, you know, I think there's just so much work still to be done. Um, if we were to uh, make that comparison of kind of my own realization of how much I needed to learn, I this is still in the really formative years. I'm still a student teacher in this uh, analogy. And that's where I think school districts really are, are still at. They recognize the correlation. They know that for student success, that they're going to have to address school-based mental health. They're going to have to address the needs of their students and that it's not going away, but they're still looking for kind of the the plumbing, how do they set up the system within their school, within the community to be able to move students through regardless of where they enter, at what point they are in their mental health journey? Is it a prevention pipeline? Is it somewhere in between? And how do we make sure that the handoff is seamless through schools to the community, to the family? And we're excited kind of to see the interest level, but know that with that interest level, there's going to be a lot of missteps and really focusing on evidence base on very clear data and reporting of outcomes will help us get the results that we need so that the investment will continue. Amy, I can relate to so much of what you said earlier about, you know, I was a former educator as well, and I did not feel prepared to meet the needs of my students, emotional needs uh, when I entered the classroom. <coughs> So I'm wondering, once you recognized that that was going to be paramount for you to be an effective teacher, how did you learn to meet the uh, emotional needs or the mental health needs of your students? You know, I don't know that I did, Lane. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. I think a lot of the realizations that I had came later. There are many students and many regrets that I have about not being able to do more for those kids. Um, as a, a person who is no longer in the classroom, uh, but very focused on this, I saw the gaps in what I was able to provide and what we could do, what the potential is for our young people. Um, but, you know, a lot of it came around um, even just a shift in mindset, which I was able to make that shift in how I saw mental health and the challenges, the behaviors that I saw in my classroom and a different thinking around um, discipline was mm -hmm. kind of where I started mm -hmm. to uh, make those those shifts in um, seeing this as skills that were needed for young people and not something that they were doing that was bad, right? So being able to see um, challenges to flexibility and challenges to frustration tolerance that students had, being able to make good decisions and learning those skills versus, um, you know, just defiant behavior or something that was a discipline referral, right, which right. I would have thought at the beginning of my career. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree because I, I, you know, I'm constantly referring to the Maslow's hierarchy of needs and that usually these behaviors are a result of unmet needs. Uh, usually these, be, you know, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs says that 
education is going to be the last priority until those essential basic needs are met. So I can certainly appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Amy, what are some of the, I, I mean, you know, the, the, the state, I think, of mental health has obviously been in great transition, particularly kind of with the pandemic the last few years. Uh, I think we all know that we were, you know, really in kind of a crisis state, even pre COVID-19, but what, what have you, what have you observed and what have you seen over say the last five years, inclusive of that time with the pandemic, both in terms of the intensity of challenges with students, but also maybe the way that school districts have responded either with respect to how they perceive their role or specific kind of uh, strategies that are putting in place to address kind of student mental health. Yeah, I think we really started to see a rise around 2009, between 2009, 2011, um, and within the last five years, taking a look at how we could begin to address it. So more adoption by schools of the social emotional learning, prevention pieces, bullying practices, you know, anti-bullying systems life skills, going back to character education. And, you know, only in probably the post-pandemic, more of a um, a deepening of what we could do for students who were maybe at a tier two or a tier three level so that we could address some of their needs and make sure that we were bringing in uh, families as well to be part of that. And, the shift has been significant in the way we think about mental health. For the first time, we're really seeing leaders and experts that are calling on this, whether it's the um, a Children's Hospital Association saying that we have a national emergency or the pediatricians that weighed in and said we have a national emergency. We're seeing the um, political will to fund these efforts. And that's when you know there's more here that has to be done. When we're willing to start to bring this to the national stage and federal dollars are being allocated, then it is top of mind. It is dinner table conversation for every family. And we are at a point in um, our kind of public education system where if we're looking at how we're going to meet the need, we have to figure out how to address the, you know, capacity building that has to happen because the demand is so high and it's very difficult in more rural areas for families on their own to find the kind of help that their young person in their life might need. So how do we build that capacity? How could we do it through schools? And I think there's a lot of agreement that, you know, a no wrong door policy is going to be our best method for meeting the demand with a focus on prevention and early intervention, but building out the pieces for students who are struggling. And without addressing the burnout of staff and teachers and mental health professionals, we won't be able to really meet this um, head on. So, Amy, put on put on your your policymaker hat for a, a second. Um, do you? I mean, two part question. Do you think the federal and state? Do you think federal and state governments are doing enough right now? Do you think they're paying enough attention to the challenge of youth mental health? And are there a couple of things that, if you had, you know, a, a governor in front of you, kind of right now, and you were advising them on, what are the top one or two things that you would advise them to be doing from a policy standpoint? Oh, there's so much that still could be done. So, are we doing enough? 
Um, I think the attention's there, but I don't think we could possibly be doing enough. The Surgeon General just said this is the number one health concern in the United States. So until we're addressing it with that level of um, urgency, we are not doing enough. If I had the attention of the governors in the state, I would say to those states that had not yet done a Medicaid state plan amendment to expand Medicaid for those students who do not have an IEP uh, to cover mental health, that that would be first step. You know, tap into those federal dollars, make sure that we're doing what we can at the state level to help fund the need that's coming down the pipeline and knowing that CMS is anxious for us to do that. So that's an easy first step. The language has already been done. Model language from many of the states, as you mentioned, Duncan, in your opening uh, is already set. So states can take this on today. I would also um, think through with states how they might uh, shift some of their funding to be able to allow districts to implement things that are going to work for their school district while setting up a state technical support so that when it comes to having resources available, uh, trainings available, they can do that. But then knowing that the schools are going to need some boots on the ground, some help right in their classrooms and districts to move this forward. Uh, sustainable funding is going to be top of mind for every district that's thinking of making this investment. So, you, so you let, let's let's talk about funding a bit. You just mentioned kind of Medicaid. Clearly, kind of that's a that's a opportunity and a, and a lever for for states and, and districts. Anything else you'd want to point out from a funding standpoint about like achieving sustainability and where you think we need to be going here in the next kind of year or two? Yeah, yeah, it's. Um, you know, it's going to be really important that we move past just the project aware grants and how do we make this something that's permanent, something that's an essential foundational piece of education. And until we can do that in a way that uh, schools can rely on, they can't build this out. We won't see the workforce build out that we need because we aren't going to have the funding to pay those professionals in a way that makes sense. So uh, reimbursement rates will be important. We also know that, you know, in states where they've made this a priority, um, they've really focused on the serious mental illness. For example, I got to sit down with um, Mayor Daryl Steinberg just yesterday in uh, Washington. He is the author of Prop 63 out in California. And uh, that's the millionaire's tax for those of you who are unfamiliar with that, where they set aside money for specifically for mental health. And when they originally set that up, he talked about how they set it up in an 80-20 kind of breakdown, 80% for more serious mental illness, 20% for prevention. And knowing that for it truly to be successful, eventually they need to have it in the reverse. Right, right? Right. We have to be spending 80% of our dollars on prevention 
uh, because we can never scale up enough. Sure. Uh, otherwise, yeah, you're on a, you're a treadmill that you're never going to win that 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 race. So you almost you know transition from eighty twenty and then have like some type of scale where it like transitions year by year over over time. Amy, I'm wondering what you think is the most misunderstood thing about mental health. And if you had the power to change anything about school-based mental health, what would it be? Um, I think it would be the perception Mm -hmm. of it as a weakness. Mm -hmm. Um, So, uh, or that it would be political. I think the military in many ways has been able to focus on this over recent years. You know, Patrick, my husband, Patrick, tells the story of uh, visiting the Green Berets um, at Fort Bragg. And the general there talked to him about the amount of investment that they make in the Green Berets and how mental health is mostly a priority for their top performers like the Green Berets, because they see it as a force multiplier. And that perspective of mental health as being something that we all should be investing in because it will lead to better outcomes, more successes, instead of a weakness or um, a gap that we have, is really a a cultural shift that I think needs to happen. And when we do that and we, we all believe we want the best for our kids, then we would never do without this piece. For sure. Thank you. Amy, what, what, what would you say is in your personal mental health toolkit? So when you think about just kind of how you go about your, your kind of, you know, day-to-day life, is there anything you'd want to share with the audience here about like the tools in your toolkit for how you, you kind of maintain your, your kind of uh, own personal mental health? Yeah, you know, um, you covered it actually at the beginning when you talked about sleep. It's so simple, but it's so crucial. When we look at our own five kids, um, you know, if my four-year-old is whiny and crying and we go, oh, he needs a nap. But it's still true for adults. It's true for, you know, all ages. It's so clear when you need sleep. And the other thing that um, I've just been focusing on this week, if you haven't listened to another great podcast, Hidden Brain, they talked about weak ties and the relationships that we have that maybe aren't our closest friends and family, but the happiness that we get out of conversations with people that we run into frequently. So, you know, whether it's talking to the person that delivers the mail or the bus driver, uh, the person at dry cleaning uh, that's checking you out, that those actually increase your happiness. And so I've been thinking about that this week and just making sure that I'm really focused and engaged when I'm running into people and making those conversations. Absolutely. I actually had a conversation with one of my best, best friends uh, a couple months ago, and I was a little irritated that I felt like she hadn't been um, there for me in the way that I needed. And when she her response was, Lane, well, I'm really sorry. Do you know who else is going through something? I said, who? And she said, literally everyone. (laughs) I was like, well, I guess that's true. And so it really, you know, after I had a, a little laugh like that, too, it made me realize just walking around in public that everyone is going through something to be really sensitive to that, especially now in these times. And um, just to, to realize everyone's got their own stuff happening. And let's be nice. Let's be kind. Let's be gentle with one another. So I can appreciate that for mm-hmm. sure. Paying it forward. 
Yeah. I, 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 the, uh, I, I think that's a huge thing. I'm, I'm hopeful that we are, we are kind of moving into a, just a good era of civility in our society. That's what I think we should all be kind of, you know, aspiring towards. Let's be good to each other. Let's be kind to each other. I think, uh, you know, it starts with those individual, you know, one-on-one interactions each and every day, and then hopefully it kind of multiplies from, from there. But uh, Amy, any parting thoughts you want to share with uh, us and the MindBeat audience? You know, I think it's really just about figuring out what works for your local area. And sometimes that's just the language that we're using and making sure that it fits. Um, There's a lot of polling, I think, happening now around how to frame mental health for your specific communities. And uh, it's a, a topic that we can all relate to. So just think about the framing to get it done in your own area. Amy, really appreciate your time. Uh, Always incredibly informative to talk to you. I hope you have a great rest of the day. Great, great weekend. I'm sure you get a ton of, ton of kid activities going on a very full schedule uh, taking place this weekend, right? Absolutely. Birthday this weekend. So happy, happy. Yeah. You got the birthday circuit when you got the young kids where it's like every single week, (laughs) someone else is having a birthday. uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of pizza and cake. Take care. Awesome. Thank Thanks, you so Amy. Much, Amy. Appreciate it. Okay. So we're going to wrap up with our final segment today of uh, what inspired us this week. Landy, you want to you wanna go ahead and kick us off yeah, here? Yeah. So, you know, we talked about that article a little bit earlier about from Education Week about, you know, the teachers being really stressed out in schools. And I was inspired when I was on my California trip that one of our Northern California districts uh, has really made a, an effort to support the mental health of their teachers by providing a third party who is always available to them to discuss, to process, uh, you know, all of the challenges that teachers are going through. And as a former teacher, oh, man, that would have been amazing because there's a lot of behaviors. There's a lot of really intense, challenging behaviors. A lot of times teachers don't get a break from these kids, especially right now with um, a lot of teacher shortages. There's less breaks. There's less prep time. Um, You know, you may be with the kids a lot longer during the day. So there's a a greater need to process and to, you know, work through challenges. So I was so impressed and happy to see that that major support was there for teachers that that definitely inspired me this week. That's great. Yeah. So what what is what has inspired me this week is really just our um, this is the time of the year where at Effective School Solutions, we're doing a lot of uh, reporting of data back out to mm-hmm. our, our district partners on, uh, you know, the impact of the mental health services that we're delivering to students uh, within school districts. And so I've really been inspired in the last week with a couple of the district conversations that I've been a part of where, you know, you're able to look at not just kind of the quantitative data about how students are progressing kind of in services, are they receiving the right number of services, are they engaged at a high level? But I always really enjoy the, um, you know, kind of a student anecdotes to really mm-hmm. uh, get a glimpse as to the life-changing impact that uh, really high quality mental health can have on students in a, in a school setting. So there's not, not one specific thing that I'll, that I'll point to, but just in general, being part of those conversations like fills my cup and, yeah. and uh, I, I get off of those uh, uh, meetings or those Zoom calls and I'm always uh, just uh, feeling feeling very, very kind of, uh, you know, pumped up about the opportunity for um, us as a collective society to get in there and make a yeah, an uh, difference and an mm-hmm. impact with students who kind of have that highest level of need. For sure. When I left the classroom, I was really, uh, you know, like, oh, my kids really need me. But the benefit of coming to an organization like this was the greater impact that we get to affect so many more teachers who then affect their kids and students. So I I love that. 
You got it. Mm-hmm. Got it. Got it. Lane, so uh, uh, have a great weekend. You and, do the same. Uh, I hope that incubation period does not uh, kind of kick in <laughs> at some point kind of over the, the, the weekend. But uh, let's, just, uh, let's hope. Let's yeah. hope. I got a lot of things to do this week. You got it. <laughs> I don't have time to be sick. You got it. Thanks, everybody, for uh, joining the My Beat podcast. And we'll uh, talk to you on our next episode. Thanks. Bye, everyone. The MindBeat podcast is a production of Effective School Solutions. MindBeat represents the opinions of Duncan Young, Lane Whitaker, and their guests on the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. This podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing a standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on this podcast. If you or someone you know is experiencing a mental health crisis, please call the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, the SAMHSA National Helpline at 1-800-662-HELP or your local health care provider.